Welcome to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 273. I'm your co-host, Tom Maluli, and with me this week is Brendan Maluli. My, my car is getting worked on right now in the parking lot. This is a new development. I don't think uh, the guys have seen this before, but what's the, what's the little slogan? Safe light? Repair. Safe light, repair. Safe light, replace. So I'm, I'm getting a replace right now because uh, something something apparently hit my windshield. I would just like to take this moment to remind all of our listeners to pay their car insurance premiums because this could have cost me a lot more money, but yeah. not so much anymore. So it's it's good to have comprehensive auto coverage. It does. And, you know, you it, those commercials that they have on TV, usually like in the middle of a football timeout, they talk about how you get a little splash, a little rock makes a little splash in your windshield. The windshield is pretty thick. Yeah. Over time, it's going to get weaker and weaker and weaker, your glass. You're going to run over a pothole, or you're going to jam on the brakes, or you're going to run over like a sewer cap or something, and it's just going to make a little shift in the between the front and the back axle, and you get a pretty hairy crack Yeah. You know, right across your windshield. It's very unsafe mm-hmm. uh, to drive that. So anyway, we, we've got plenty to uh, discuss today. Just figured I'd throw that in there since it is uh, of the moment right now. One of the articles that we wanted to talk about uh, was recently put together by Fred Wilson, who is venture capitalist and runs a terrific blog that you we would recommend you take a look at. The address is AVC, like a venture capitalist avc.com one of the few websites that has three letters in its name pretty cool he was telling the story about his son uh got interested in investing and after doing this for a few weeks uh the son asked fred what's a pe ratio we talk about that kind of stuff a lot we toss around these terms and we sometimes take for granted that people understand what these things actually mean but he actually had a, a, a pretty good analogy of describing this to his son. Yeah, it was a story, and uh, it definitely gets the point across uh, very clearly, I, I think, to anyone. So I'm, I'm just going to read a couple lines from it. So uh, he put it this way. He was like, you know the deli you stop at every morning, get a bacon, uh, bacon egg, and cheese on, on your way to school? Uh, son said, yeah. Uh, so he was like, let's say that tomorrow the owner tells you I'm selling the business. We make a million dollars a year in profits and have for the last 30 years and then ask you how, how much would you pay me for it? Fred said that his, his son thought about it and said, you know, maybe four to five million dollars. Fred asked him why. And, and his son said, well, because, you know, I'd lay out that money in four to five years. I'd have paid off my investment and then I would be making a million dollars uh, a year into the future, you know, on, on this business. And Fred said to him, okay, so you offered to pay a PE of four to five. And his son was like, all right, I get it. So it, it's basically what, what you would be willing to pay today for the expected future profits of the business. What, what multiple would you pay today? Right. How, how long will it take for you to get your money back? And then you make the profits after that. What's fair? I can't believe that he was able to concisely spell this all out in one paragraph there was actually like an entire semester of my graduate work learning that. What is a price earnings ratio, PE mm-hmm. ratio, and what does it actually mean? Mm. It means that, you know, it's going to be a multiple of earnings. Right. So if we see a technology company that's trading at 100 times earnings, mm-hmm. that means that 
it's trading at a very rich multiple in the sense that it's going to take a long time. The value is going to take a long time to catch up or catch down to the earnings. And it, and it may not ever. It may not ever. <laughs> so so the, the back half of the story, I think, which is a good analogy to some of these darling tech companies you see today or companies that are just IPOing that sound interesting. Fred kind of tweaked that story to explain how venture capital works. And he said, you know, we, we might pay, you know, that same four or $5 million. Maybe we, maybe we kick in a million and we buy uh, 20 or 25% of a business, but there are no earnings. Uh, there are no customers. It's just this idea. Right. And a lot of companies are that yeah. today and they get these as you said before very uh rich multiples on them basically for the expectation of their future earnings which may or may not come to fruition uh and so it's tough to say which ones will or will not and only in hindsight can we then laugh at people who put money into ridiculous ones and laud the people who put them into the future facebook's and amazons of the world because sometimes you're rewarded handsomely for buying companies that have these insane PE ratios and a lot of the time you're you're not. So Warren Buffett's mentors, Graham and Dodd, put together the book that basically what they wanted to do was buy on the cheap, buy companies that were beaten down, had a low valuation. So it wouldn't take long, a long period of time for you to recoup your investment and then Basically, you are the owner of that free cash flow. Right, it was marg margin of safety was the way that they explained it. Right. You didn't, you didn't need that much to uh, recoup your investment in it because it had or was trading for such a low multiple. Right. right. And so it's a very different world these days, uh, seeing the valuations at such high levels. Yeah, stuff like that changes over time. I would be wary of saying that it has changed too much. It's it's just interesting because it's pretty much impossible to say when valuation starts mattering again because part of the equation in here is always the price and the price is swinging around day to day based on people's opinions and feelings and when the crowd sentiment changes that's when you may start having some issues but right. until then you could look like a genius for buying high pe companies i but i wouldn't go so far as to say it doesn't matter anymore i think that's that would be foolish i think it's important for people to realize when the you see these talking heads on tv and they're talking about the stock market i don't know if they're talking about the dow jones or the s p or whatever but they talk about the stock market trading at 17 or 18 times earnings. Then they say, now we're going into a period of time where we expect earnings to decrease. That means the PE has to contract to basically reflect good value for the market. And that's it's not a linear equation. It's not a straight line. But it can lead some fundamental folks to say, the market looks overvalued at this point doesn't mean it's going to automatically go down, but that's what they're talking about when they're using these kind of terms. I think on a grassroot level, grassroots level, if you've ever watched Shark Tank, when whoever is pitching their company or product walks out, the first thing that they say is, hey, sharks, I'm interested in raising $100,000 for 20% of my company. They're telling you, and you'll see, everybody starts writing down on a piece of paper what that is. So the sharks are trying to figure out, okay, you're telling us that you value this company at 
$20 million or $200 million or $2 billion, whatever the number is, they now spend the next few minutes, what we see on TV, trying to ask questions about how'd you get to that valuation and why do you think that's a good value or a good point for us to jump in? It really ties in pretty nicely with the way Fred Wilson talked about that. This stuff matters whether, whether or not, uh, I think we get confused because we're talking about what a business is worth and we're not talking about what the stock price is going to do over the next three months. We that, that, those things are completely unrelated. Yeah. And so to say that valuation uh, leads people to do like the wrong thing sometimes, I think they're, they're using it in an incorrect fashion. You should never be looking at a valuation of a company to discern whether or not you want to hold this thing over the next year. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're putting your money into a business to buy a stake in that company. Uh, I don't think the owners would ever predict to you what the company is going to do over the next 12 months. I mean, it's the same thing here at Maluli Asset. I mean, it's they, hard to say. They have an idea, but they don't know for sure. I, I think people misuse whatever, if it's price to earnings or other valuation techniques, I think people misuse them if, if they're trying to use them to jump in and out of an investment. It's it, Really, I mean, you should treat it as you're buying a portion of a company, which which you are. Well said. And one of the things that I'll also add before we move on is you'll hear these crazy phrases like EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Mm-hmm. They're trying to basically strip out all these other things and show you what the internal rate of return is. How fast is the engine moving? growing to do that. So they'll talk about, you know, sometimes on CNBC, they just talk so fast. I think the average guy on the street is going to miss, when did they, when, what's EBITDA? What are you talking about? The first time I heard that phrase was in the mid 80s. I had never even heard that or read that in a book. But it's an interesting way to kind of slice the numbers a little further. Yeah, I mean, we look at, there's different accounting metrics out there. And so price earnings is is just one of them. And they invented these other versions because people were using crappy accounting to make their business look better than it was. Better than it actually was. <laughs> so when we talk about different metrics, it's easy to get confused. There's a lot of different ways to measure things out there. Information overload. I mean, you can you can watch the financial media and hear about the 200-day, the 10-day, every technical indicator on the universe, fundamental measures of a company, uh, a million different things thrown at you. You could you could get 10 different metrics in a 10-minute period for the same company. Do any of them matter? You know what? If you're a long-term investor, it really shouldn't. Really, it wasn't it wasn't to say none of them matter, but to the average investor listening, that's information overload. And it's not necessary to make decisions in terms of investing money in like a 401k plan for your retirement account or something like that. That's you, you don't need to know if stock XYZ crossed below its 200 day and is trading at a, you know, a price to book ratio of six, like none of that matters to you. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests 
are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. So when we talk about information overload, we're going through a pretty large hurricane that's approaching the United States. It's approaching Florida. There's a lot of information now available on the web yeah where you can see interactive charts Mm -hmm. that show you the european model i don't even know what all these models are but apparently there's 27 different weather forecasting models that are widely used by meteorologists to determine to basically boil it down to this is what it looks like and how it's going to go we don't know for sure so what you're getting at is that people take this widely available information now as they do with different measures of you know market metrics and they do their own research with it whether or not they're qualified to do so because i think and i think this is the important distinction here and, and what ties these two together is because doing the weather and talking about the market and investing are both probability businesses and so professionals can do the right stuff and be wrong about the outcome. There's no guarantees, but I think that leads the average everyday person to think that those people are idiots or that this is so easy that they could just do it themselves. And that's not the case at all. Like if the weather guy gets it wrong, we all like mock them as if it's easy to predict exactly where a hurricane is going to hit. That's insane. Yeah, it is. And uh, there's a certain level of mocking or who else can do a job like this and not get fired that's what that's what people will say about meteorologists that's totally unfair and all these other folks that have to make a market call for a living every i mean everybody is making a market call whether it's on television or not when they decide how to invest their money you have to make some kind of a decision about what the future will hold it doesn't need to be as specific as some people maybe uh get on tv and and proclaim but but all of us are inherently making calls all the time when we invest our money. The tie-in between all the information that's available between hurricane data and hurricane tracking and what the stock market can do, it can be just as confusing if you try and base your decisions off of one or a few sets of data points. It can also be dangerous if you go into it with an idea of what you want the information to say, because I would imagine like the markets uh, with, with these different you know, weather indicators or whatever it might be, you can find something that will confirm what you want. So if you, if you look long enough, if, you'll find it. Right, exactly. So like if you want to find if you if you want your declaration to be that like the market's going to go down i'm sure you can go out there today and find a handful of things that that seem like they confirm your uh, your thesis and vice vice versa if you if you think everything's going up from here you can find those too speaking of finding a thesis there was a story going around in 2004 and 2005 that Everybody in the economy was working, but everybody had two part-time jobs. There were no jobs to be had, but the economic data showed that we were nearing full employment. Uh, But it seemed like everybody was working two jobs or three jobs or whatever. And then fast forward a few years into 2011, 2012, we heard the same thing again, that there's it's really hard to find work out there 
and we're getting all of these data points that show us that people are now picking up second jobs to help make ends meet. That was usually used in that 2012 time period to show why like the economy wasn't any good, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So the Federal Reserve blog from the Federal Reserve Board of St. Louis, it's called FRED. Uh, excellent website. I highly recommend listeners spend a little time on there. You can pretty much uh, find anything you're looking for on there. It's really well done. But they came up with a post recently on moonlighting. They wanted to take a look at this and find out what's really going on in terms of information that they've been able to gather on how many people are actually working either a full-time job and a part-time job, or two part-time jobs, or two full-time jobs. Very interesting uh, information that I'll share. So people who were working a full-time job and a part-time job, roughly 3% of the pool that reported. People who worked two part-time jobs, one and a half percent of the population that reported. People who had two full-time jobs, just one quarter of one percent. That's really hard to do, two full-time jobs. But I think the most interesting takeaway from all of this is that those numbers have essentially not changed in 20 years. Going back to 1998, 1999. Right. It's amazing to see how the narrative has changed well, it's, from time to time. It's because people will go in, when you look at trend data like that, that covered decades, it looks like nothing's happened. But I'm sure that if you zoomed in and focused on like a two-year stretch, you could be like, wow, that number is really spiking. And if that confirms what you want to tell people about the economy, then you can trot it out there and seem like you're intelligent for making a point like that. But yeah, I think it's interesting to look at these over a longer period of time to show that we're really worried as we are. You can zoom out on a stock market truck the same way. Smooth, we're terrified. Smooth, yeah. We're terrified of these little squiggles on the line, but then zoomed out. It's a smooth line. Right. It's a smooth line. You can't even find the market went down 22% in one day in October of 1987. Right now, if you look at a chart, you can't even find 1987, the mm. year Hmm. on that chart. It's such a little wiggle. You know, obviously, I'd encourage people to take longer term views. I also think it's unrealistic to look at a, a market chart that covers like 80 years, because I don't think people are investing for 80 years, but it should at least be given the context of like 20 or 30. Because sure. for sure, even people who are approaching retirement age probably still have a time horizon of that length. And so to look at 20 minute chart of the Dow to scare the crap out of yourself. I mean, that's yeah. all you're doing. You're just scaring that's the crap out of yourself. Don't right. do not do that. <laughs> so speaking of scaring the crap out of people, probably one of the biggest fears that people have is that they forget their password. Yeah, that's the worst because then you have to or reset their locker, it. Or their lock combination when they go to the gym. Ah, that that's tough to do. I feel like that's just like, if, if I had to recite the numbers for you, I couldn't do it. But once I like walk up to my lock and do it, it's almost it's automatic. It's, it is, it's like baked into your personality, I think, after you, after you get it down. But the internet passwords thing is really insane. I mean, at least once a week, I have to reset a password. 
have them send this stupid thing to my email and then I can reset it because I just can't remember all these things. And now it's got to be 16 characters, upper and lower case with a special character, but not like the underscore or the at sign. Yeah, and, I mean, it, they, and it can't be too similar to the one you used last month or whatever, right. whenever the last time they made you change it was. Can't be part of your username. Yeah. Can't be, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, it's all of these rules. So there was a post on the Andreessen Horowitz blog that talked about this recently. They talked just as we did about how the use of passwords has just exploded and they again, strongly remind people, as all these websites do, not to use the same password on like a dating app that you would use for your primary checking account online. You know, once that password gets swiped, wherever you've used this is now susceptible to be, you know, yeah, broken into again. There's so much to remember and so many websites out there. I think the article said that passwords have been declared dead like tons of times over the last decade or two and and i think most people would agree that i I don't know at least i feel i've had enough of passwords and they should create something better but the reason that passwords have not died even though most people think they should have or, or will be going to is because there aren't any better alternatives or or the other alternatives also have flaws so like Facial recognition can be gamed with a very high uh, resolution picture from from what this article had to say. Right. And then you've got those little, uh, It's a, they're not a fob key like your car, but you get a little device where it like sends an extra pin code to or something like that, or they text your phone. But those can those could be game too. Like if somebody gets the device from you or you lose it or something, then what or do you do? Or you can do? get your phone spoofed, yeah. which is now, you know, basically someone hijacks your number and then they get the the pin sent to somebody else's phone. Right. So, so I just, who, if anybody out there is listening, that's, that's gotta be, uh, I'd, I'd invest tons of money in, in your startup. If you could figure out a way to get rid of passwords with, with something that actually is uh, secure. Now what Andreessen Horowitz talked about was a move away from account authentication to device authentication so think about like your laptop being identified or your phone being identified as your basically part of your two-factor authentication Hmm. and then you have a fob or something else uh, where they send you another code and then once you verify the password or whatever it is to verify your phone or your laptop then it's considered a secure device. Then no more passwords. So your device, your phone or your laptop can then log into every site without any problem. So what's the problem there? Did, did that seem better to you than a password? Because that seems less secure than a password to me. Well, what's it's like, the what risk? if somebody takes your computer? Yeah, someone takes then your computer. Then they're good to go on right. every single thing that you have? Yeah. That's that's worse than a password, I think. Yeah, Which you, is again why we can't get rid of these passwords yeah. you because you lose your you lose your phone, yeah, or you put your phone down and walk away for a moment and it's gone. Yeah. You leave your uh, computer, your laptop plugged in somewhere else. You know, part of the other thing is not something we planned on talking about, but uh, there was a story in the Wall Street Journal about all of these counties in Texas that uh, became victims of ransomware Mm. because all of their computers stayed plugged in while they were going through a ransomware attack. So 
can you imagine if they figure out a way, if this is the path that they move forward with where you have an authenticated device and then your device is plugged into a network and there's a hacking event or ransomware, you're locked up. Yeah. So, so I don't know, maybe like what, uh, was it Churchill that said about democracy? It's it's the uh, the what is it like? It's the least terrible form of government, except for all the other ones. Right. Something along those lines, and maybe that's what it is with passwords. They're yeah. the, you know, they stink, but what's what's better? It's hard to say. Haven't come up with anything great yet because if we did, we'd be we'd be doing it. Because I know I'm tired of uh, sending password reset things to my email. Yeah, there has to be a better way. Right. But that's going to wrap up episode 273. Thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next episode.